This is Millennially Speaking, a podcast about politics, pop culture, and everything in between. I'm David Latimer. This week, we're talking about a bombshell whistleblower complaint, the definition of a real American, and why D.C. might deserve to become our 51st state. But first, I want to talk about the whistleblower complaint and everything that has happened since we learned about this. Now, I actually considered doing a full episode on this very topic, but I decided against it because this is such a fast-moving story. I'm recording this on Thursday. I was actually contemplating doing it yesterday, and I'm really glad that I didn't because there was actually a testimony today that is part of this, and it feels like every hour there's something new and there's something different to add to this story. So uh, it's very much developing and I don't want this episode to age within hours. So I will tread carefully uh, as I proceed. But essentially what is going on right now is uh, there was a there was news of a whistleblower complaint against Trump. And the entire point of it was that Trump had potentially abused his power as president by withholding military aid to Ukraine in exchange for something of value is what we're we're calling it. And that something of value was a potential investigation into his chief political opponent, Joe Biden, former vice president. And what's come of this is a lot and it's happened very quickly it happened within only a few days in fact the most important things happened within about 24 hours so the the most important thing to remember about this is that this is not russia russia the whole russia story was much more complicated much more hearsay much more plausible deniability and the ability for trump to say well that's second hand and and you heard about these things from other people, and I never did these things or said any of these things, things like that. The most important thing to remember about this is that before we eventually got a transcript or something close to a transcript of the the phone call that was supposedly made from uh, or between the Ukrainian president and Trump, and we knew that this was a conversation that happened, and we knew that Trump asked... Ukraine to look into Joe Biden because he admitted it. He actually, he and Rudy Giuliani both admitted it. So I'm kind of confused by what the right wing and what the the Republican Party is trying to do because I'm hearing a lot of denying or or even saying that this is a non-story because it didn't happen when the president has said it happened. The, I mean, obviously if you want to take a strategy, it would be the so what strategy. The yeah, it happened, but it doesn't mean anything. I, there's, I'm confused of what the strategy is. I think the main line from the transcript that is crucial to this is the what what they're calling the quid pro quo part of the do this or we won't do this for you. It's uh, Zelensky, the, the Ukrainian president, said, we're almost ready to buy more javelins from the United States. He's referring to missiles. And Trump immediately responds, I would like you to do us a favor, though. That word, though, matters because it means we'll do what you just asked, 
but do this first. And then he goes on to talk about Russia and looking into the origins of the Russia investigation. And then he's the one that brought up Biden. There's been a lot of reporting that says that Zelensky brought up Biden. He did not read the transcript. Trump brought him up first. And the whole, the the other big issue with this story, um, first of all, it, this apparently was important enough to Nancy Pelosi that she has officially decided to open a formal impeachment inquiry, which that doesn't get us anywhere yet. All that does is it allows the House to focus in on a particular investigation, which critics out there will say, well, they've been investigating things forever and ever, so what's the point? Well, unlike Russia, which, I, like I said, was complicated and very detailed and, and had a lot of moving parts, this is very, it's, it's just one point. You know, it's there was one thing, and it's already been uh, discussed by Trump, and the transcript of it was released. So we already kind of know that already. And the whistleblower complaint, again, that also was released today. So the all of the things, all the components to it, are out in the open, unlike Russia's confusing parts or or uh, the the questioning and the the things that were denied about it. But of course, should impeachment actually go forward? Should the House decide to impeach him? It would set history because it would be he'd potentially become the third president to ever be impeached. But there's not a chance he would be removed. I know there's some people on the left that are fantasizing about. Uh, Republican senators, potentially this would be the thing that would get them to break. I don't see that happening. I see him being fully acquitted in the Senate. Uh, whether whether you agree with that or not, whether you agree that he should be acquitted or not, I think that's just reality. That And that, again, to me is, I think, why we should be reforming the Senate, because I don't think, even if Trump should be acquitted regardless of, of what you think about, you know, party, the Senate should not be run by parties and it should not be run by people who are elected because how is it that the House can do something and, and maybe that's the partisan side, but then the Senate should be, if they're going to hold this trial to, you know, and your, your senators are your jury, how are they, how is that a fair trial of anyone? If whether they're, you know, on the same party or an opposing party, how is that a fair trial to have, you know, the, the people who are on your side openly you know, how would that be a fair trial in normal circumstances? But anyway, a little bit of a tangent. One of the big things that's also coming of this is that there's been a lot of deflection from the Trump campaign or from the Trump team. And one of the big things that Trump himself has been talking about is that there is bias because uh, people aren't looking into what Joe Biden did. And he's he's been making a lot of references to things in you know, his dealings in Ukraine. And he fired a prosecutor and he bragged about firing this prosecutor and it had to do with his son because the the prosecutor was looking into a company that his son worked for and there's a lot to unpack there there's a lot of things that went into this particular uh theory that people have but i'm going to actually I, I look into that i did look into this and I, i'm some of the information i'm actually looking at comes from right wing sources but I have come to a different conclusion than they have. So I watched this video that people have been referring to, which is that Joe Biden is at this, uh, I believe it's the, the Council on Foreign Relations. He's he's speaking candidly with this big group, this big crowd. And 
he's talking about firing this prosecutor or what they're calling bragging about firing this prosecutor. So what essentially happened is in Ukraine, this company that Hunter Biden just so happened to be working for was being investigated. This prosecutor that Joe Biden had bragged about firing was already action was already being taken against him by other nations for corruption. So, yes, I think Joe Biden should absolutely not have been involved in this decision or in terms of just the optics of it are bad, because no matter what, you're not going to satisfy anybody with sort of the the timeline or, or any of the details of the story because it just looks fishy no matter what, that Joe Biden may have done something that in the end benefited Hunter Biden. So you're never going to satisfy anybody. But the reality is, is that while it looks fishy, it would appear as that there's no there there, that Joe Biden was acting on behalf of the United States, also on behalf of Obama at the time, because this was while he was vice president, that his actions in attempting to get this prosecutor fired was not to benefit his son, but because there were already actions being taken against him because the rest of the world had already decided that this was a corrupt prosecutor who couldn't actually do his job properly. So I don't believe there's a there there, but uh, the the point is that people keep saying that well, no one's looking into this. Well, there are people that have looked into this and are still looking into this. So to claim that no one is, the fact that anyone mentions it is by definition someone looking into it, you know? So, so just just sowing that seed of doubt is enough for some to be considered looking into it, quote unquote. Also, to point out, Trump, what Trump was doing was specifically, if all of this is true, which, I mean, I would like to point out, Trump did admit to this, Trump was potentially withholding military aid for information on his political opponent. So he was purely benefiting himself. Whereas with the Joe Biden thing, if this is all true and correct, he was potentially withholding loan guarantees to Ukraine to have this prosecutor fired that was, by all accounts, not seen as credible on the world stage, not just by Joe Biden's standards. So it had nothing to do with, you know, affecting an election. It had nothing to do with just the... the Trying to compare the two is apples and oranges. Yes, it involves withholding some sort of money or aid or something to help this country, but it is just completely separate. They just are. You can debate them, but you cannot say, well, one happened, so then that means the other one's okay. How is anybody okay with the idea that a president potentially was withholding something, withholding aid that was already approved by Congress to benefit himself? that is abusing his power, that is abusing his office. Again, if all of this is true, which he has admitted to, if all of this is true, that is really problematic. I am not a member of the House. I'm not a member of the Senate. So I don't know what would amount to an impeachment or what I think could amount to an impeachment. But I have a major problem with this. And Republicans should stop excusing everything that Trump does. Trump has done some good things. Some people don't want to admit that Trump has done some good things. But when Trump does something bad, when Trump does something not right, everyone should be standing up and saying it 
just as loudly together. Because we are a country not run by parties, and parties should not be the thing that we're so concerned about. We're just, we're pretending that things that Trump does or that, that anyone does don't matter as long as we can keep our power. And to, to draw that line is just, to me, not right. I think we need to stand up for what's right. I think we need to really come to terms with, we have all these conspiracy theories about how everyone's just trying to take Trump down. I think if the Russia thing didn't happen, I wonder what would happen to Republicans in this instance. Because no matter what you've said about the Russia thing and trying to debunk it, there was always another another rabbit hole to go down in terms of a conspiracy. That's the same thing here. It just appears that, well, they were so desperate to impeach him, and here's another example of why they're so desperate to impeach him. Here's just another story that came up out of nowhere. Trump even said it was, oh, it was clear that they were holding this for the week that I was doing the the work at the United Nations. No. No, it was not held. That That right there is just stoking doubt about the veracity of the claims, which... The inspector general, who was a Trump appointee, has said these were credible and urgent. But then that got passed along to the Justice Department and Bill Barr decided it was not urgent. So Bill Barr, who was also referenced in this phone call, needs to recuse himself. He should not be involved in this at all. I don't know if he would ever have any involvement in it, but he should recuse himself. Trump needs to stop talking about it because the more he talks about it, the more he potentially incriminates himself or others. And I think an impeachment inquiry is right. Maybe not impeachment per se, but this needs to be looked into. Because if the the claims that are being made and the ones that Trump is confirming are true, this is really problematic to foreign relations, to our standing on the world stage, our ability to have conversations with world leaders, and why should anyone trust anything that we do when on the public face, you know, we, we had no idea why we were withholding uh, the, the aid to Ukraine that was already approved by Congress. But it appears that this is the reason. And it's wrong. Moving right along, uh, the next thing I'd like to talk about is a little bit of a pet peeve for me. And that is what I will call real America. One of the things that I hear a lot from the right, and I'll say it again, I am a moderate. I am a registered Republican, but as someone who wants to be fair to both sides because I don't think either side is correct 100% of the time, which I wish the world and the rest of the country would think that way as well because it just is the fact, I feel as though people on the right oftentimes call middle America, the the more rural states, the ones that are historically or, or more recently Republican majority, the smaller states, the less congested, not the big cities, not the coastal uh, places, that that's real America. What does that mean? What is real America? Last time I checked, we're all Americans, right? If we are citizens of this country, we're real Americans, okay? the The other thing that I hear is that people who work certain jobs, people who work in the mines, the coal mines, people who do work with their hands, people who have 
long hours, hard jobs, whatever it is, that that's real America. That's, you know, that's having a real job in real America. How is that any worse or any less American than working a desk job? How is being somebody who works on, works in an oil field, how is that any more American than somebody who works in, say, marketing or in media or really anything that you could do within cities? And this is one of those things that we've talked about or I've, I've mentioned before is that I think the right has stolen patriotism and I think the left has done a really bad job at defending themselves from that accusation that the the liberals are not as American, they're not as patriotic, and maybe that's part of their brand. I think the Republicans have done a really good job at making patriotism part of their brand, that if you're happy with the country as it is or everything about its founding and, and just at its core, a, a constitutionalist, like a constitutional purist, you should be a Republican because that means you are patriotic and you love the country how it is. Whereas if you're a liberal, you want to change things, you don't think things are good the way they are, you're more progressive, that's just sort of by definition what a liberal is, that means you don't like the country the way it is and perhaps you're not patriotic. And that's just in the imaging. And and I think the Democrats have done a bad job at trying to look patriotic because even think about the Russia investigation and now this Ukraine thing, they're being accused of not being patriots and not being American enough because they want to investigate the president. And I think that is the antithesis of that statement, that the wanting to keep the republic and wanting to keep the country together and, and make sure that the president is being held accountable, you know, following those checks and balances, I think that's the most patriotic thing you can do. And you may disagree. You may think that the allegations against Trump or, or things like that are unfounded. You may think that Trump is innocent. And that could very well be true. He may not have done anything wrong or or impeachable. But the fact that anyone that hears something so terrible would actually want to look into it, the fact that it's a different party that has to do that, and the fact that another party who ignores these claims or ignores things that that are you know, supposedly negative about the president. I mean, an accusation of wrongdoing is not, you know, going to be a, a positive thing ever. The fact that that is something that is so one-sided, I think is totally wrong. And I'm just always bothered by the statement that certain jobs and dirty jobs and, and living in middle America is what is real America. People who live in the cities, people who work desk jobs, people who do things that you know, certain people would call them snowflakes or certain people would call them whatever it is. They're, they're, they're real clean, the, that your hands are clean, then that makes you not a real American or, or less of a, you know, quote unquote, real American. Not to say that they're not, you know, actually American citizens or that they're not patriotic or whatever it is. It's just that certain jobs and certain places and certain things or certain ideologies are seen as more real America. And I don't think that's right. Because anyone who, the, the people who are working behind a desk, maybe they're making more money than the people who are doing the, the other jobs. Maybe they're not. I don't know. Doesn't matter. But anyone sitting behind a desk that, that has a job, you know, that's part of the American dream is to be able to have a job that you can afford to 
live in this great country and be able to afford the things that this country has to offer and and be part of this great experiment that is America. And this is just a complaint that that I've had all the time, you know, every time I hear it, that people that go to college and do college careers and things like that, that makes you somehow, in the eyes of certain people, I'm not saying everybody, but in the eyes of certain people, that is less than those who went to like a trade school or just went to some kind of, un, uh, whether an entrepreneur or um, an apprenticeship or something after high school. The, the fact that doing that is somehow better or seen as more, I think there's a, there's an element of masculinity there. I think there's an element of it's more manly to have a dirty job than to be behind a desk. And I, I mean, you can have whatever opinion you'd like. You can think however you'd like, but we're all real Americans and we should stop fighting each other as to say who's more patriotic just because of, you know, how you decide to make a living, whether you're doing something that's more manual labor, or whether you're doing something behind a desk, the to to divide ourselves based on our careers and our, our positioning in life is not fair. And I'm, I'm really sick of people trying to do that, that anyone that decides that they don't want to, you know, do a, a more dirty job or a dangerous job, even that they want to sit behind a desk. Maybe that's their career choice. Maybe it has nothing to do with their patriotism. There's plenty of people who I'm sure do dirty jobs who are not very patriotic. So let's stop dividing ourselves. Let's stop trying to say someone is more or less American just based on what you can see without even knowing a person. <laughs> Lastly, what I wanted to talk about, and this got kind of buried from this past week because of the whole Ukraine story, but this is about D.C. statehood. So for decades, Washington, D.C. has been fighting for statehood and trying to become the 51st state of the United States. And for years, there's been great opposition to this and no interest in bringing it up for a vote, no interest in even considering the idea that D.C. should become a state. And there are reasons for D.C. to remain its own thing. There are there are definite reasons for that. Um, one of the things that the founders wanted was to have basically a, a sovereign area in the United States where government can operate and it's not partisan. It's not basically how things are run there are not based on anything else that the country does. It's its own thing. And that it's not influenced by what the, the Congress is doing. It's not influenced by the president. And there's there's a lot of good to that. There's definitely a lot of important parts of that. And, and I agree with that because if you have a White House or a Congress that is self-dealing and doing things that are only good for, or not only good, but would benefit their home or, or where they work, there's a problem there. And, and I think you would get that complaint should D.C. fully become a state. But in recent years, there's been a lot more attention paid to a, a theory that's come up, and actually the first hearing in decades happened this past week about D.C. statehood. One of the theories that's been brought up is to create what is called a, a mini-capital enclave. Okay, so currently what you have, obviously, is the District of Columbia is taken a little bit from uh, Virginia and I believe a little from Maryland and you 
you've created this city uh, within these states. So you've created this small little enclave that is just for government operations, and that is what is not... Te- there's technically no representative that, that gets a vote. Um, they do have someone who can speak for D.C., but they don't actually get a vote within the House. You have uh, a mayor that's only recent. That's within, I believe, the last 50 years or so that they've gotten that kind of representation where they can make decisions within the place. Um, but they don't really have representation, and it's the antithesis of what the founders wanted, which is um, taxation without representation. That's what they have. And the idea is to potentially create an enclave that is just the National Mall, the basically all of the places where our government meets. So the Capitol, the White House, the National Mall, all of the areas where you don't want influence to uh, matter and that's it. And basically create a state out of D.C. minus that little enclave and that would not be governed by what a D.C. state would be. And the reason for that is because there's about 700,000 residents of D.C. who currently have no representation in Congress. And while I understand wanting to keep it separate from the rest of the country, obviously the the potential of self-dealing and things like that that I've already discussed, those people who, when the country was founded, that's not what D.C. was originally thought to be, it's a reality now. So I think we need to make adjustments to our expectations of what D.C. is and what it's become and actually make adjustments because the founders could not have foreseen that D.C. would become such a major metropolitan area. Granted, it's not huge. 700,000 people is not that large of a city. There are plenty of larger cities, of course, but it's larger than a lot of other states or, or the population is a lot larger than a lot of other states. So the bar for the number of people that live there why that's higher, it doesn't have to be because, like I said, there's lots of other states that have less people. And for them to not have representation and, and not to be able to make their own decisions, the the residents there, it's problematic. And one of the arguments that gets made a lot, the the makeup of D.C. is heavily African-American. And what has stalled it a lot, especially in recent years is that Republicans believe that it creates a solid two more votes within the Senate for the Democrat Party. And they have openly said this, that it's because they don't want to guarantee Democrats more votes. It's the same argument that they've made with Puerto Rico, because the the makeup of Puerto Rico is largely Democrat. So you're going to automatically have Democrat senators and it's going to shift the power within the Senate. And they said they don't want to vote on something that essentially gives the Democrats more power. It would be like shooting themselves in the foot. And that's a really weak argument. And it's, like I've said earlier in the episode, it's really sad that we've become so, we're such slaves to our parties that the giving people the right to control their own destiny with which, you know, where they live that that is less important than the country's power, than, than what a party has within the country in terms of their power. And I don't know if statehood is exactly the right solution here, but for 700,000 residents of this country to not have a say, and, and 
I don't even want to get into the the territories of the U.S. how they have been treated poorly, because that's a totally separate issue. But the the fact that D.C. does not have representation yet is still expected to abide by all of the same rules and laws that the country makes is crazy. That they can't vote in certain uh, bills and referendums, and and the 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 city doesn't get its own say in terms of well. Should we vote for this particular thing or should we even, you know, the, the there is no senator to speak up for their constituents, to speak up for their, what they want. And I think that needs to change. I don't, again, I said, I don't know what exactly needs to happen, but something, this can't just continue in the way that it is. And that's all for this edition of Millennially Speaking. I'm David Latimer. Be sure to rate us on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen. And if you like this podcast, share us with your friends. We're also on Instagram at millennially underscore speaking and on Twitter at underscore MS podcast. Thanks for listening.